From Vermont Public Radio, this is Brave Little State. I'm Angela Evansy. All right, let's do some intros to start. Uh, Liam, tell us who you are. Hey, yeah, I'm Liam Elder Connors, and I'm a reporter here at Vermont Public Radio and been on Brave Little State a few times in the past. Yes, and we're very happy to have you back, Liam. And Derek. And I'm uh, Derek Brower. I'm a reporter at Seven Days, um, where I cover all sorts of things and uh, do investigations uh, like this one with Liam. This investigation was a joint project of our two newsrooms, and we wanted to highlight it in today's episode. So, Liam, back in July, you got on Zoom to meet Rebecca Mamie and Kongwa Shangalume. Hi. Missouri. And you spoke with them through an interpreter. Who are they? So Kongwa and Rebecca uh, are a Congolese couple who came to the United States and came to Vermont uh, back in February of 2019. You know, they came from uh, a refugee camp in Burundi and uh, flew, you know, halfway across the world and landed here in Vermont. And when they landed in Vermont, they were taken uh, to their new apartment where they'd be staying by their uh, resettlement case manager. And that new apartment was in Winooski at 300 Main Street, which is a, a little apartment complex. <laughs> And when they arrived at this complex and got into their their unit, they were kind of walking around and checking it out and seeing it was what it was like. And they recalled being a little disappointed um, by the conditions. Like it just didn't look great. It was seemed a little bit run down. The back door didn't lock. Um, and they also immediately pretty much spotted some cockroaches uh, scuttling around on the floor. So Congo and Rebecca, they didn't know who their landlord was. They had just been, um, I guess, shown this place by their uh, resettlement caseworker when they got here. And uh, they had asked in, in those first days what to do about the bugs that they saw in their apartment. And uh, they were called uh, to us that uh, their caseworker had initially told them to try to take care of it themselves. So they went to the uh, the drugstore and they got uh, chemicals and tried to deal with this problem, but uh, it wasn't working over, over months that they lived there with their children. Um, and eventually they said that the cockroaches were everywhere. About, well, it was over a year after living uh, in the building, Rebecca was pregnant with their third child. And as part of that, she went to the hospital for a, a pregnancy checkup and a social worker there uh, got them in touch uh, with an attorney at Vermont Legal Aid who was able to help them get their landlord's attention uh, to send in pest control to deal with the bugs. Pest control did come in over a couple months. I think they came in five or so times to lay traps and uh, eradicate the roaches. But they were in for one more surprise when they moved out into a new apartment near the end of 2020. They found out that their landlord had deducted uh, $625 from their security deposit uh, to cover the cost of the cockroach treatments. And who was that landlord? 
Their landlord was uh, a man named Rick Bove. That last name probably is familiar to a lot of listeners. Rick Bove is one of two brothers who represent the third generation of the Bove family that ran the famous restaurant. Hi, it's Mark Bove, and we're standing in front of my family's Italian restaurant, Bove's Cafe, located on Pearl Street in Burlington, Vermont. This uh, Bove's Cafe was open almost 75 years in Burlington and, and really was sort of an icon in the city. My grandparents first started the restaurant on December 7th, 1941, on Pearl Harbor Day. So Pearl Harbor Day, Pearl Street, kind of cool. So anyways, we're going to go inside the restaurant tonight. The restaurant closed a few years ago, but um, it still lives on in the form of jarred pasta sauces and frozen meatballs that they now sell in grocery stores around the country. Yeah, they're, they're a family name that's pretty well known. Um, I mean, at the grand opening of the pasta sauce factory in Milton in 2018, Governor Scott was there, Governor Phil Scott. And he spoke highly and, and praised the family for all the work they've done here in the state. The three guiding principles of my administration to, to grow the economy, make Vermont more affordable, protect the most vulnerable. And the Bow family is doing all three of those in many, many different ways. But the sauce is only one half of the family's business. Rick and his brother, Mark Bove, also own a growing empire of rental properties. There are more than 400 units across Chittenden County, St. Albans, and goes all the way to Hartford even. And both brothers, Mark and Rick, are principals in both of those family businesses, but the day-to-day responsibility is divided up. Mark runs the pasta sauce factory, and Rick oversees the rentals. Today on the show, an investigation into a prominent Chittenden County landlord shows a pattern of neglect and reveals how ill-equipped Vermont is to oversee the quality and safety of some of the state's most affordable housing. We have support from VPR sustaining members. Welcome. Thanks to Vita for their support of Brave Little State. Since 1974, Vita has helped Vermont businesses grow and thrive. From agriculture to energy, startups to family companies. Find solutions that fit your business. Visit VEDA.org to start your next chapter today. And Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer-owned business crafting CBD products right here in Vermont. Learn more about their sustainable farming practices, delivery options, and how to support local farmers at sunsetlakecbd.com. So we're talking about a pasta sauce family that has also amassed a pretty sizable empire, as you said, Liam, of rental properties, like more than 400 units all over the state, which is a lot of Vermont renters. Do the Boves use their pasta sauce money to buy real estate? You know, Angela, that's a, a good question. Uh, we don't really know how the uh, two sides of the family business interact particularly, but uh, what we do know is that the Boves have been able to amass a, a large number of rentals, particularly this growth has come in the last 10 years. And they've done that in part by acquiring and building 
apartment complexes that have benefited from uh, a variety of mainly federal subsidies that are meant to help you know, increase the stock of affordable housing in Vermont. So uh, a number of these complexes, you know, were originally built with uh, federal deferred loans and or low-income housing tax credits. So there is public investment in these properties. In an ongoing basis, I should add, Rick Bove rents a good number of his units, almost 100. So somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, almost 20% of the units or more to renters who are on uh, the Section 8 housing voucher program. And, and for those who don't know, Section 8 is a federal rental assistance program that provides a direct payment to landlords that covers a portion of, uh, of a tenant's rent. Um, and in addition to that, uh, we found he also rents um, to a lot of uh, new American and immigrant families like Congwa and Rebecca, who, you know, when they first arrive here are relying on, on a stipend that they get as part of their resettlement package. So that was one reason that we focused our look into the Bove family here was because they play such a critical role in uh, the affordable housing landscape in Vermont. So as part of your reporting, you visited some of these properties. Can you describe what you saw? Yeah. Um, obviously, I think for this kind of reporting, it's important to sort of see the places that you're talking about. And so Derek and I um, were searching for and trying to find current tenants of some of these buildings to, to try to get in and, and sort of see what was going on inside. And one of the buildings that we went into was the Monarch Apartments, which is a 30-unit complex in Essex. And, you know, I think one of the things that struck us was like, this could be actually a pretty nice place to live. Um, there's like a covered garage where people can park. There's also an elevator inside. There are mostly, you know, two and even some three-bedroom units, which there aren't a ton, especially of like three-bedroom units in in the area. So, you know, they're functional, they're desirable. Um, but what we found was like just it, it's very poorly maintained. Um, you know, window ledges in the common areas were just littered with decaying food. Um, there were, you know, live insects, dead insects. One stairwell just had like candy strewn all over the carpet. Um there was these big holes punched in the drywall by a tenant who's being evicted. And, and those holes had been there for more than a month, according to an inspection report that we had found. Um, you know, just generally this, this, this sense of like small routine things weren't being addressed to make it a nicer or habitable place. Yeah, the, the other property we went to was in uh, Colchester. This complex is called Arbor Gardens. Uh, this is a larger complex. It's got 37 units, I believe. We had contacted some current tenants that we could find in hopes that they would invite us in so that we could see, you know, what they're living with. Um, but it turned out at Arbor Gardens, we may not have even needed to do that because as several tenants showed us, many of the exterior doors on the building, like either just didn't lock at all or you could just pull on them and they would open. So that was a little jarring. And then I, I remember we went into the the main lobby and um, several of the mailbox lockers like didn't have the locks, like somebody had yanked the locks out of them. And so they weren't really like secure at that point. And I remember some of the tenants told us that like they don't even have important packages delivered there because they're worried about them getting stolen. And that was really kind of a main theme that hit me at Arbor was that some of the folks who live there just like don't feel safe in, in the apartment building where they live. We heard stories about, you know, 
buying firearms to protect oneself, encountering people with guns in the hallways. So there are many of those sort of concerns. But then there were also, similarly to Monarch, just a lack of maintenance that was pretty obvious to anyone in the building. Um, you know, there were only four washing machines for the for the whole building, 37 units, and one of them didn't work. Another one like had the seams that were taped up. Um, I guess it was working, but it, it looked like it was barely working. But, you know, I think the, the deepest impression at Arbor for me was this contrast between uh, so many residents had taken the time to decorate their doorways in, in the common hallways uh, with, you know, pumpkins and scarecrows and things like that for Halloween. Um, but the carpet itself was gross and it smelled and there were patches of, of what looked like it was vomit or some kind of sticky substance on there. Now, these these buildings that we visited have had, uh, you know, more serious acute issues at them as well. It have had problems with, you know, being slow to repair and things like that. But it just was like it was evident that when a building is not being actively managed, you know, there are all these sort of collateral effects that that has that, that can erode uh, the quality of life. Yeah. And so the the handful of residents that we talked with who are currently living at both Monarch Apartments and Arbor Gardens um, talked to us anonymously um, because they were afraid of retaliation from Bove or from property managers that, that work for Bove. But we were able to find some former tenants who would talk to us uh, and speak on the record and, and on tape. Uh-oh, I'm not good with dates. <laughs> um, well, it was, I want to say, almost two years ago now, pretty close to Including uh, another former tenant at Bove's uh, complex in Winooski. And this was actually somebody who moved in right around the same time that Congo and Rebecca, uh, the Congolese couple, uh, when they moved in, they moved in in February of 2019. And then Amy Brunell and her 16-year-old daughter moved in a few weeks later. Um, well, I was living with my mom, which, you know, wasn't good. I was just, I was desperate and needed a place to live. Amy talked to us and, and she was telling us that when she was foreseeing the place. Doing the walkthrough with the property manager that she noticed there were like these bug bombs that were in the apartment, which, you know, are like things to, you know, kill bugs and pests and stuff. And she remembered seeing them and asking the property manager, like, hey, what's up with that? And the property manager told her, no, everything's fine. Don't worry about it. The people that live there prior were just uh, making sure they didn't have spiders and that type of stuff in the, in the apartment. So we didn't think it was a big deal. And um, she told us that, you know, that was enough for her. Um, at the time, she was living at a family member's house and working at a convenience store. And just, you know, this was a place she could move into and didn't feel like she had too many other options. And then upon being there, I started noticing insects. So I opened the dishwasher and then, you know, I'd see one. And there was during the day stuff, insects crawling up my walls. Um, I'd go in the bathroom, there'd be one on my toilet seat. And then of course, the more I paid attention, the more I was seeing come to find out they were cockroaches and there was a huge infestation. It was so bad. She told us that she was afraid to, to like sleep at night because any little thing that touched me, I thought it was a cockroach. You know, she'd slam the toilet seat because she was afraid there were cockroaches like that would come up out of the toilet if if she used it. I mean, just really like. And of course, I had my daughter with me too, and she was a minor. When Amy was talking to us, like clearly, like, the, like these things still were kind of sticking with her quite vividly. 
it was just a horrible place and I was scared to even be there. And then So Amy had filed a complaint with the city of Winooski about these problems after living in the apartment for a couple of months. And in the complaint, you know, she noted that she had cockroaches. There were tires in the backyard. She had a hole in the kitchen ceiling and just some other general issues. And in September of that year, a month after she filed the complaint, uh, a city inspector came and in the report noted that the infestation was so bad that the smoke alarms weren't working because they were full of roaches. Liam and I uh, got in touch with Amy because we had been looking through uh, Winooski town files for that property and found uh, the complaint that she made about the cockroaches and a number of other issues. And But that wasn't the only thing we found in that town file. It was, it was the file itself told sort of a story about the history of this building in, in, in recent years. And uh, one of the things that, that it told was that cockroaches had been a recurring issue here over a number of years. Um, it's hard to say whether one infestation lingers or continues into another, but uh, I think what was clear is that this is a recurring problem. Back to uh, as early as 2016, um, there was actually a photo of the roaches in the town file that showed them um, and and roach droppings like blanketing a wall panel. But the problems at the property went beyond, you know, cockroach infestations that seem to be persistent here. Um, Winooski has its own uh, municipal housing code, unlike most Vermont towns, and its own enforcement division, which is embedded in its fire department. And as part of that, they uh, they do regular inspections of rental units in the city every four years usually, and then issue certificates if they pass or not. Uh, one of the things that jumped out at us when we were looking through the town files was that most of the units, there are 24 at 300 Main Street, had not had valid certificates of fitness since uh, 2018 uh, when they had failed initial inspections. Uh, what seems apparent is that there was some lack of follow through from the city back in 2018. And in the year since, uh, you know, the problems there seem to have not gone away and, and perhaps gotten worse in some respects. After the break, enforcement or lack thereof. That's right after this. It's Brave Little State. I'm Angela Evansy. Today, I'm talking to Liam Elder Connors and Derek Brower about a joint investigation by VPR and Seven Days into the rental properties owned by Mark and Rick Bove and the way that Rick Bove manages them. Well, this brings us to the question of accountability. Who is responsible for holding a landlord like Rick Bove accountable, either for the condition of his properties or the way that some of his former tenants say they were treated? Well, Vermont does have a state rental housing code, but that's not something that's proactively enforced by most municipalities in the state. Um, like Derek mentioned, Winooski is one of only a few towns that actually has their own code enforcement division that does routine inspections of rental properties. And then other than that, other than Winooski and a handful of other cities, uh, towns rely on town health officers to do rental housing inspections and to respond to complaints. And I think that's kind of a key thing is that, you know, town health officers aren't going and regularly inspecting every single apartment or, or rental unit in a city. Last year, actually, the, the Vermont House and Senate passed a bill that would have been a step towards 
changing some of this. Um, it would have created a statewide public rental registry and also had the Division of Fire Safety act as the, the state housing code enforcer. So what happened to that bill? Uh, the bill was vetoed by Governor Phil Scott. And in his message, he said that the answer to the state's housing crisis was not more regulation. I think it's important to remember that the rental registry that the legislature was contemplating earlier this year is perhaps one piece of addressing this issue. But I think the problem is broader than that, too. At least our reporting seems to indicate so. You know, regulators told us that, you know, there is a limit to how hard they can crack down on landlords that rent marginal and substandard housing because there is so little housing available in the state. And that housing crisis that we've been hearing so much about and that looms over so much uh, about our broader affordability crisis in the state really has an effect on the mindset and the enforcement strategies that some of these regulators take. I'm thinking in particular of, of those who administer the Section 8 program that I mentioned earlier. That does have an inspection component. They're supposed to make sure that the units that are rented that are going to receive a federal subsidy are up to minimum standards. And the standards aren't necessarily very high, but they are there. And uh, if a unit doesn't pass them, uh, you know, the money is not supposed to go to that unit. And what we're seeing is that there is some small ball being played on, on individual units and buildings at different points when things get particularly bad or go unaddressed for too long. But a bigger solution, such as, uh, you know, barring or threatening to bar a, a landlord uh, who you don't trust from the program has not really been on the table uh, because there's this fear, I think, uh, in part, there's this fear that uh, we can't afford to lose more units, especially affordable units. And that bind that you're describing, Derek, seems like it leaves renters in a situation where they maybe have to fend for themselves and advocate for themselves more. Um, have any of Rick Bove's tenants ever tried to hold him accountable on their own? They have. All right, please. Judge Ian Carlton will be presiding. Morning. Morning, What we found through our, our, our court review was that uh, nearly a dozen people have sued Bove in the last 10 years to try to get their security deposits uh, back. And uh, the one that really stuck with us was uh, Angie Menard. Okay, so we have plaintiff Angela Menard. Good morning. How are you? Good, thank you. And we also have Richard Bove. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Not too bad, thank you. Um, who uh, lived for six years at that same Winooski building that Amy, Congwa, and Rebecca lived at. I mean, the place wasn't beautiful, but it was a place, and I was happy for that at that point. For her years there, too, money was tight for her. She was a single mom. She was on Section 8 when she moved in, trying to uh, get her life back on track. And she, by all accounts, including Bove's account, uh, was a model tenant during her time. And Things were pretty much okay because I paid my rent. I didn't bother him. Anything broke, I fixed it. You know, things that needed to be done, I did them. And... Um, he was pretty much a good landlord until the end. When she moved out, um, she left it spotless. You know, the day came and I moved out and I know that he had 14 days to, you know, do his thing. So I was like patiently waiting those 14 days. So Vermont law says that a landlord needs to return a security deposit in two weeks or say why they're not returning that security deposit and Angie waited those two weeks and didn't hear anything from Bove. I would try to call him. I think I even tried emailing him. 
um, and just no response, just crickets completely. And so she filed a case in small claims court uh, to get her money back. And so in April 2018, Angie was in court with Rick Bove, uh, presenting her case why she should get her money back. And you're also saying that you you did not receive any of that $495 back when you left. No, Your Honor, and nor did I receive a 14-day letter stating why he was keeping it, which is why I'm requesting the double damage law. Okay. And so when Angie showed up to the hearing, she came prepared. She had her lease in hand. She had all these documents, she says. She was just ready. And um, she says when she got there, Rick Bove uh, didn't, didn't have those papers. He didn't have his lease. And the judge, acting Judge Ian Carlton, at one point during the hearing sort of just asked Bove, like, Mr. Bove, do you, how many rental units do you own? You know, how many properties do you manage? Well, at this time, it's maybe over 500. At, at this time. Okay. At, at that time, it, you know, it was, it was less. Years, <laughs> a lot less. Yeah. Less. So you're very versed in the process of returning security deposits? Yes. Yes, you are. Okay. You know, why Why don't you have this lease, basically? It's your responsibility to keep a copy of that lease, right? And Bove had said, you know, normally he's he's very well organized. He just had misplaced this and didn't have this, uh, Angie's lease. I wasn't out to try to hurt someone financially or, or what have you. That's, mm-hmm. that's not my nature. And ultimately, the judge ruled in Angie's favor and awarded her... Uh, double damages. So she got back $495 times two plus all of her filing fees. Thank you and good luck. And individuals are not the only ones suing Rick Bove, right? There have also been like municipalities that have taken him to court. Yeah, we uh, we came across a couple of different towns that did that. Um, in Colchester, the town sued after he ignored a public health order to fix a leaking sink and get rid of the mold that was being caused. The town uh, brought him to court to get that fixed and got some money out of a settlement. Um, Something else we found was that even in towns and cities that have their own code enforcement offices, uh, the results can sometimes be inconsistent. And that you know, even if officials do try to pursue Bove to get him to make fixes in their properties, uh, it can be really just like take a ton of time, a lot of effort, and the the fixes don't often last. It's uh, more than a patch than anything. And you yourselves did make contact with Rick Bove while you were working on this story. How did that go? Yeah, we had a couple of phone conversations with him. Um, we were trying to schedule an interview with him and he initially agreed to sit down for a phone interview with us and, and talk about his properties and the issues that we'd been looking into. Um, but your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice message system. He did not pick up the phone at the time that he said he would pick up the phone for the interview. And then later through a text message told us he wasn't going to comment for the story and instead eventually sent us a, a longer written statement. What did he say in his provided statement? I can read the statement here for you. It's, um, it says, uh, Bove Brothers Rental Properties is proud of our participation in the community. We provide clean and safe, affordable housing in a market where rental costs have risen to a level well above what working people can afford. From time to time, there may be repairs or cleaning that is required to maintain the apartments. We respond promptly to calls for repairs. We work collaboratively with tenants in the city to meet code requirements. 
Both brothers disputes any allegation that we are not good landlords. Any balanced consideration of our recent record demonstrates our commitment to providing affordable and safe housing. And I, I kind of would like to add on to that statement. The, the statement Rick sent uh, is, is fairly general, but he got a little more specific in, in some of those phone calls that Liam had mentioned when we were trying to schedule an interview. And I thought one of the things he said was notable. In that call, he, you know, he had acknowledged that there were some challenges in the property management in recent years, but he told us that that was the result of, of a former property manager who he described to us was the only employee he had ever fired and said that she had allowed tenants to rent who probably shouldn't have been allowed to rent from him. We tried to find that property manager, but we could not reach her. But I think it's worth noting that Rick acknowledged there, there was at least, uh, you know, there was a rough patch in his eyes in the management of these properties. And so I guess the question is, what happens next? Rick Bove continues to rent to hundreds of Vermonters. Is there any sense that there will be improvements to the conditions of these properties? It's hard to say. I mean, certainly from the statement that Rick sent us, it doesn't indicate that there's a belief that there is a significant problem in need of change. So I think um, in, in that sense, perhaps not. I think it's also worth noting, and this is one of the reasons why Liam and I thought this story was important to tell right now, is that uh, Rick is still in the process of expanding his holdings around the state. He's in the works, at least by our count, you know, he's looking to build nearly 150 more units spread across Essex Town Center, Montpelier, Georgia, and Burlington. So these towns are faced with, uh, uh, you know, I suppose a form of that bind that regulators already are feeling where, where there is this real need for these units around the state, but they will have to consider what to make of his record and what to do to ensure these new buildings are not just affordable, but safe and decent and affordable at the same time. Well, Derek and Liam, thank you for your reporting and thank you for coming on Brave Little State to talk about it. Yeah, thanks, Angela. Yeah, thanks so much, Angela. After Derek and Liam published their investigation, Mark Bove, Rick Bove's brother, submitted a letter to the editor at Seven Days, in which he acknowledged the issues raised by their reporting. Quote, We have read the criticisms in seven days and will make changes to address them, Mark Bove wrote. Some positive measures we have recently undertaken include hiring translators to help bridge language barriers with some tenants who need help with general living practices, education regarding garbage and food handling, recycling, and composting, signage to promote general understanding of safety and health, and more safety audits with city inspectors. We have never given up on our community, nor do we intend to take all of this lying down. I would ask for patience. The changes we will pursue will not happen overnight. Unquote. We've got a link to the full letter in our show notes. You can also find it in this week's Seven Days. Meanwhile, the city of Winooski has restarted regular property inspections at the Bove's apartment complex on 300 Main Street, where Rebecca Mamie, Kongwa Shangalume, Amy Brunel, 
and Angie Menard all lived. The initial inspections surfaced serious problems, including a bathroom so moldy it needs to be gutted and redone, and cockroach infestations in nine of the 24 units. Thanks so much for listening to the show. And thanks to Liam Elder Connors and Derek Brower for sharing their reporting. You can read their full investigation at vpr.org and 7daysvt.com. Our website is bravelittlestate.org. That's where you can submit a question for an upcoming episode, sign up for the BLS newsletter, or vote on the question you want us to tackle next. Find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Reddit at BraveStateVT. I produced and mixed this episode with engineering support from Josh Crane and Myra Flynn. The investigation was edited by VPR's Mark Davis and Seven Days' Matthew Roy. Ty Gibbons composed our theme music, other music by Blue Dot Sessions. Brave Little State is a production of Vermont Public Radio. If you appreciate our work, let us know at bravelittlestate.org donate. I'm Angela Evansy. We'll be back soon.